what we talked about at the beginning is Americans are on the cusp of another borrowing binge. So pretty much what led to the 2008, the biggest housing bubble and everything was too much credit, too much borrowing. People were over leveraged tremendously, which uh, put them in a very bad position. And they're saying we're about to see another one of those start forming now because investors are concerned that the U.S. is headed for a repeat of the lackluster economic expansion of the prior decade that once the country gets past reopening pains, it will resume the same modest but steady growth that was interrupted by the pandemic. So the question is always the same. How do I get into real estate investing if I have no money? How do I find deals? How do I negotiate deals? How do I find contractors and manage rehabs? How do I get the money to even buy these houses, to hold these houses? How does a rental work? How do you manage a rental? How do you manage tenants? How do you borrow money? How do you borrow money with almost no interest? How are all these things done and how are they done the right way? Well, I am John Barbera, and this is an investor's journey where we share with you how to invest in real estate the right way and how to get into it with no money, how to do this with real tactics that are working today in the market that we're in right now with things that we are personally doing. So welcome to the show. The plunge in 30-year treasury yields last week after the hawkish turn from the Federal Reserve only heightened the sentiment. And they say that um, because the, the view overlooks a key factor that held back the economy in the 2010s and that should now boost it through the 20s, household balance sheets. Americans are richer than ever before thanks to the booming stock market coupled with the surge in home values. And households aren't burdened with the same level of debt that dragged on spending in the years following 2008 recession. Uh, that should mean faster growth in the years to come as Americans, again, feel free to borrow. So between the end of uh, 2019 and the first quarter of this year, household liabilities rose 5%. Only 5% household liabilities. But household asset, assets rose 14.8%. So... That's that's an insane amount because usually, I mean, in this country, based on everything that we've read through economic books and people like that and, and articles, it's kind of the opposite. It's always been, you know, in a, uh, the American household has more debt than assets. You know, the average American household, especially the lower income. But now the liabilities have only risen 5%. That means that people are just not taking that kind of risk of borrowing. Yet the household assets have increased 14%. And that's the kind of balance sheet math that should put households in a spending mood once they've put pandemic fears behind them. So the rise in leverage that restrains economic growth in the 2010s began in early 1980s. As interest rates declined, households uh, increased their debt faster then they grew their assets. And that trend continued for 25 years. Then as the home prices fell... In the late 2000s, uh, American assets, houses, and stock holdings lost value with their debt uh, levels. So yeah, pretty much when the housing crash happened, the stock market crash happened, 
people lost all their assets, right? <laughs> their home. Well, they got super have... skeptical of it, and like they sold all their assets off the baby boom generation. Well, like, a lot of them are just a like, lot of I them had to sell it yeah. all off, and it's like I can't take this pain anymore. Four one k's took a hit. But... Pension funds got wiped out. I mean, there's people's retirements got wiped out during that crash. So yeah, a lot of people's those were their assets got wiped out and what was left is all their debt because that didn't get wiped away so you know the net effect is that by the end of the first quarter of 2021 the ratio of household assets to liability is close to a 50-year high and continued strong gains in the home values and stock prices in the second quarter of 21 um even the bottom tiers of household this was interesting too even the bottom tiers of the household net worth distribution, wage growth is surging and child tax credit payments included in the American Rescue Plan beginning on July. So there's a reasonable amount of inclusiveness here. We're already seeing homeowners beginning to take equity out of their houses again, though nowhere near the levels that we saw in the mid 200s. Um, 200s? You mean mid 2000s? 2000s, yes. <laughs> Whatever, an extra zero. Um, <laughs> Uh, at the peak of the bubble. The oldest members of the baby boom generation are now 75 and will find themselves drawing down their savings, selling their assets in the years ahead. And millennials looking to buy houses will find themselves taking on debt like generations before them. Low interest rates make debt manage management easier than ever before. So here's what I'm looking at is kind of like what we saw in 08, right? is people right now, what's making their assets go up is the stock market that's booming, housing market that's booming. The stock market takes any kind of large correction. That boom will essentially get wiped away. Well, and in a, in, a, in a situation where people are kind of wary and they're still kind of timid, they're not getting into a lot of debt. If something was to happen soon, my theory is, that would just further extend that fear people have of jumping into debt, jumping in, which is something that the government, the economy, everybody needs is for people to get into more debt to keep the economy. Well, I moving. think it's also, uh, I think this is exactly what they've been trying to do. Because I remember specifically like Ray Dalio, like he talked about, it's like the, the monetary uh, policies of like how they, they used to run and that's how then the next thing was like how they did it through pumping asset prices is like how they used to get out of recessions is they lowered interest rates well then when they lo stopped losing that ability it was like okay well now we need quantitative easing never been heard of never thought of doing before and that brought us out of last recession this is next one it's not going to work the same way and like you have to find out ways to get money to the bottom tiers of people you have to find ways to get from the money to the bottom. Policy needs to figure out how to do that. And this is exactly what they use this pandemic for. And it worked and it's working perfectly well. It's like these child tax credits to where a lot of there, you have a gap where your wealthier people tend to have less kids and your poor people have more kids that are like in poverty levels. They usually have four or five, six kids because the government's taking care of them. But now you get these child tax credits per child and you're really going to pump a lot of money into the bottom part of the economy into people's hands. Then those people don't have the assets yeah. to where it's like, yes, the stock market takes a correction, but the spend the, your average day consumer doesn't have $400 for, 
for and there's chicken come for an emergency now has cash is getting cash and can they don't care about what the stock market's doing they're going to go spend and now when you have this misallocation of labor and you have all of these entry-level positions that are open across the board that aren't being filled it's forcing companies to pay more money so that's where now they're going to even have better more sustainable jobs along with it to where yes your high end might take a hit and your luxury purchases and stuff like that but i think your entry-level everyday products are going to be what sustains those things and i mean there's these valuations and stock markets that are just through the absolute roof and need, there's corrections that can come from that um, because the amount of liquidity, but that's going to hurt the people that have those assets, but they're trying to get money to people that don't have uh, assets. I, I disagree. Um, well, you always disagree. Of course. You're wrong. There, there's facts and then there's your opinion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your opinion. Uh, I just gave no, you the facts. It, Boom. The way I look at it is that, like you say, yes, there's, Assets overvalued tremendously, right? We talked about Tesla, Bitcoin, we're seeing it. We're seeing it in a lot of just things that people found themselves with a shit ton of money. Uh, Robinhood app that lets any moron invest in stocks now. It doesn't matter if you know anything about it. So you you have all of that and you say, okay, if any of those assets that over leveraged fall is going to hurt the big people. It's like, I don't think so. I think it's going to hurt everybody because... The big people, what happens? A lot of them, the same thing that happened in 08. A lot of people are working on margins. So those margin calls start coming in. And the way for you to take care of those losses is you got to sell assets that are actually performing, which is what tanked a lot of the economy in 08 because well, they the had to liquidate. Tanked. Okay, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, like one but, thing leads to another. But, but yeah, I know. But that also led to a lot of policies coming out that okay. banks can't do that anymore. Like the the article came out. I mean, it, it was just the yeah, headline. Yeah, but we're like seeing 20, with 20... the hedge funds now too that they're they're they got why well, they got this fucking destroyed well, with GameStop and they had to even shut down trading to protect them. You know what I mean? Because like they were over leveraged on GameStop. But and that's hedge funds. And it's like, but like they control wait, a lot of hedge, money. Hedge funds, banks, everybody was over leveraged in yeah. two thousand eight. Now they're like the policies got in place that your biggest financial institutions, the twenty three biggest banks can't do that they have debt to income levels that they have to keep and have to pass certain stress levels tests based on 2008 if that event and yeah but what do you think that even then they're still not gonna set sell higher performing assets to keep those levels secure because they got a liability or whatever in their business that they can't just liquidate you know all their savings to take care of that like they're gonna have to liquidate assets as well that are, are performing so i think the repercussions of like how everything, the domino effect plays on all this, I think will affect everybody because the big people get hurt. They hurt the little people, right? Because everything starts at the top, big corporations, money gets tight, interest rates go up. This company gets hurt. This distribution yeah, but, gets set yeah, and then it trickles down. Interest, and the, Interest rates don't go up. Well, that's going to be another curious thing is like, how is the Fed going to handle the, and the Fed and the, the government going to handle pretty much the inflation that we're seeing, everything that we're seeing, along with if you want people to borrow, you got to keep interest rates low so there's more incentive to borrow. So if you start raising interest rates now, you're going to de-incentivize this incentive mm -hmm. people from wanting to go borrow, right? So I, I'm curious to see, like, how's that balance between inflation and then trying to control the inflation by raising interest rates and then also allowing people to get in and pretty much borrow with all these things. I think like it's a very interesting, intricate system that they've developed and that we're in that I'm curious to see, you know, kind of, I always hear economists say, you know, what's going to be that straw that breaks the camel's back. And I'm, I'm trying to see, it's like, what would that straw look like? 
You know, if there is something that could really tip this whole system, in which area could that really come in at? Because everything has seemed so entwined that's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's scary and exciting all at the same time. I mean, it is. But I mean, <laughs> one of the reasons that 2008 got so bad is because there was no liquidity vehicle to get liquidity into the market, people that needed money. But now that vehicle is there and it's been well-established and well-utilized to keep things from money, crashing like Money that. printing. Money printing. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like, you're like, all right. You need ask, You need cash. You need to raise money to cover losses. What do they do? It's like, we're going to buy your mortgage-backed securities. We're going to buy all... The, we'll buy anything you want to sell. Just don't sell these high performers and stuff like that and tank the market. Yeah. So like they provide that liquidity to cover these short positions. If people get in trouble, your hedge funds, your uh, big banks and things like that, the Fed will step in and they will just print till... Yeah, but then it just keeps going with more inflation, more unsustainable business models yeah. that should not be allowed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but that's what I'm saying. Like they're not going, they they don't let those things correct. But it's going to be what that tool has worked twice now. And like, but eventually you can't keep using that tool without having problems. Well, or that, you that can have, tool will need to get bigger every time you use it. Yeah, now. and then you also have uh, create stagflation to where you have rising yeah. inflation and rising unemployment, which until the 70s or 80s, 80s, right? That's from the big, yeah, the 80s, like they didn't think that could ever happen. And it's like, well, no, it can't happen. And it's like, could something like this happen? So who knows uh, what's going to happen with the next one. But it's one of those. There's well, plenty of liquidity. And uh, there's like invest. big investors have more money, more assets than they could ever even imagine. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, they and sell that, them and off, that's but they have so much cash to cover things that it's like. And that's also causing so many more people and big institutions to get into residential, to get into houses, to get into real estate even further. So I think as far as like the housing boom goes, I think... Potentially, if nothing crazy happens, I don't think this thing is getting smaller. I think it's only going to get bigger, you know, because you're going to have these large in institutions coming in with a shit ton of money, you know, because they have all these all these millions of dollars are being dumped into them because people are like, hey, I have money. Put it to work. Put it to work. That's like, I don't even give a damn if we're overpaying for these homes. We need to put in something a little bit more secure. Right. And one thing that a, a friend of ours told us that is how insurance companies they're required to have a large percentage of money on hand and they're not allowed to invest it in anything other than real estate. So it's like now you have large institutions that their only avenue of protecting that kind of cash against inflation is to put it in real estate. That my theory would be more of like, I think as far as real estate goes, commercial, you know, um, apartment buildings, everything like that, it's like, I think it's going to well, only get hotter. Yeah, real estate, I think and like it's, I think it's been very clear if you look at the policies that are be putting out that it's like the, the current administration, prior administrations, the whole US economy is like they are very 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 bullish and will do anything and everything to protect real estate values. Mm -hmm. Because they see how much money is held there and they learn from 2008 when they let those values crash how that trickles through everything across the entire market. To where you have I mean the new FHFA director coming in. You have the administration trying to get first-time homebuyer programs or trying to get the generation because they realize like people that do buy houses do over time to have do much better financially than people that rent. Oh, of course. Across the board. So they want to get people into that. And it's like because they see that a safe, secure way to build generational wealth and bring people out of poverty by owning versus renting. So that that's been well documented and I think that is something that's going to continue to drive prices and drive prices up. And my thing is like, when are they going to just start deregulating 
value so we can provide these houses for people to be able to afford because right now like it's like they it needs supply they they have primed everything ready to go people are ready to buy but values are skyrocketing pushing people out because like we as builders cannot build fast enough we have so much burden so much regulations we're like we're finally breaking ground on our new construction it, we've owned it for four months and it was literally because of the government processes that prevented us from building the house. We should be damn near done with it and have it on the market yeah. already. But we didn't because the government slowed us down. The municipalities and the way they oversee things, their antiquated systems killed it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's something that's like the cities need to come together. They need to start thinking about, you know, all of the issues that are coming down. Because if not, you just start going like where Austin is at. That's going from a booming city to almost an unaffordable city, <laughs> right? It's getting to a point where it's like... You know, I wonder when's enough enough? Like, when are we going to just stop seeing these people that are, have that capital to just fucking throw into a property over a hundred to three hundred thousand dollars over the value? And it's like, what does that mean for a market like that? You know, yeah. it, it, that's one of those like I, I think about 08, I think about Vegas, how it was booming like that. And then all of a sudden it took a nosedive. you know, where houses are selling for three hundred grand and, and they took a nosedive to selling like at 80. You know what I mean? Like, is that going to happen to a city like Austin? You know, well, I, mean, I mean, Austin is a boom bust city. And I mean, the yeah. tech sector in general is a boom bust industry. Yeah. So yeah. it is one of those that like, and it's, it's, I mean, even happened in 2008, like compared to San Antonio, like Austin does go up faster and it drops off faster. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, the, it's one of the things though, is like the stress levels that this can cause on a city uh, that has this massive boom this fast. And as far as like roads, infrastructure, what that does to taxes, because like, they're like, we're trying to keep up and we're trying to raise money. And like, so they overshoot to where they overtax, they overregulate, trying to just keep up with this demand to get the services to the public that they're trying to do. It's like, and then you have all kinds of problems that can be caused from that. That, I mean, Austin's traffic is the worst in the, all of Texas. Yeah. I don't think it's as bad as California is yet, but that's also why one reason why California's, uh, road system is so terrible is because they had a massive when boom do you fix it? in the 60s and 70s <laughs> yeah. and, they, and they spent the entire time trying to catch up and then all the regulations that came in because they were trying to keep in then you have agencies coming out saying oh you can't do this and it slows everything down yeah. and then they just have to build to what is there well, it's like because the private developers they, they build they go they're gone yeah. and now if you want a highway it's like where do you annex this massive football file ball field wide piece of dirt to put a new road and you can't at that point because yeah. it's <laughs> you got a subdivision there. well it's like oh shut down three lanes and leave one open it's like those even on those highways those three lanes are bumper to bumper at all times like you squeeze that down to one lane people are just not going anywhere so and one thing that i remember is we talked to friends of ours our big investors in austin and pre-pandemic, they would say if you wanted to build a house, you wanted to do anything, it was taking you a year before you got through all the regulations, all the bureaucracy, everything, before you could even start doing something. And that was pre-all this. And now you're adding all these people, all of this stuff, and you're saturating the city where even the policies, the, the, the people per, uh, allowing permits to go through and everything like that, I can imagine how overwhelmed they probably are. You know what I mean? Where it's like, now you probably want to build something in Austin. I wonder how long it's taking you before you even break ground. Oh, and I remember them telling stories of the inspectors just like, 
we don't like developers. So we're going to make it. You guys are pushing these prices too damn high. So we're just going to make life tough for you. I'm like, that is the opposite thing that you you should be doing if you want prices to come down. So like the developers, we're, we're a product of the market. Yeah. Like we are here because home values are what they are and the demand is there. It's like you limiting our ability to make it hard for us only further restricts the supply to fuel a demand as like it starts with the demand and the supply comes after that so now that the values are even higher it's like is that even getting worse well another thing is that they they put development developers and like big commercial style development all in one one bag right and it's like housing development is not the same as commercial development nor should it be treated the same. 